morning, everybody. Like Chad said, my name is Todd Wright. I'm one of the pastors here, and I have the privilege of leading us in a time in God's Word this morning. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, verse, starting in verse 7. But before we do that, I want to update you with some good news. Uh, you could call this a praise report. You could call this an update. Some of you who were here last week saw that we interviewed Heather Brenton about our Young Lives Camp that we did up at the South Campus this week. And so some of you served, many of you prayed for that. I want to let you know that was a huge success. Uh, camp ended yesterday around 2 o'clock, and Heather and her team did a phenomenal job. Uh, we had about 12 or 13 girls, about 15 kids in child care. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, they had an absolute blast. And so if you were praying for that, thank you. That was a great success. If you served, thank you. That made a huge difference in having more people to help. And the second thing is, this week, our high school students went to youth camp. Uh, and they, they, they just got back, and it was wild and loud and fun and awesome and all the things that youth camp uh, should be. And so we're glad that they're back safe. And I tell you that because sometimes you can sort of think, oh, it's summer and and, you know, things kind of chill out and there's not much going on. But that is not the case around here. There's a lot of stuff going on. And so I want to keep you updated about that. And so if you see Heather, if you know her, man, thank her for her service to those girls with young lives. Or you see Casey or any of the youth volunteers today, thank them for going to youth camp. That is not an easy thing to do to corral that many teenagers. But if you see any of those folks, make sure you thank them and, uh, and tell them that you love them. Okay, so we are in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, this is our series we're in. You've probably heard some of us say uh, throughout this series that we're calling this affectionately the Summer on the Mount, that we're spending time in this sermon and that we're, we're learning what God wants us to do. We're learning how God wants us to live. And at the beginning of the series, you might even remember that Ross said, our senior pastor said, that the Sermon on the Mount presents to us a new way to be human, that as we read through it and as we apply it, it's giving us all of these things. It is uh, challenging us and modeling for us and presenting to us a different way to live. It's showing us how to live the type of life that God wants us to live. God's saying, okay, I'm going to tell you now how to live the life of purpose and meaning and obedience the way I want you to do it. And that's a good thing because what we know is we on our own don't know how to live. Not truly. There are some of you here who probably would agree with me that when we try to figure out life, when we try to live it in our own strength and our own power, it always leads to failure when we try to figure out life on our own. There are probably some of you who, like me, would raise your hand and say, yes, I have tried so many times in my life to figure it out on my own. I've tried so many different things. I've read every book and I've done every self-help thing and I've gotten involved in every cause I can think of. And every time I try to figure out how to do life in a good way to truly live, it always leads in disaster. And the Sermon on the Mount is telling us that God's saying, I'm going to tell you how to live. In fact, his word even tells us about the condition of our hearts and why it's so hard to do this on our own. Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right to a man but its end is the way to death. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? We go to God's word today. We're going to be in Matthew 7 because we need it. So we know that when we try to live a life of purpose, if we try it on our own, it's never going to work. We go to God's word because we need it. We need to live a life that's full of power and purpose. So Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 7, I'm going to read our text today. 
all in one shot. And then we're going to break it down and we're going to see what God has for us today. All right, let me read it for us. Starting in verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Now, I'm going to be very honest with you. My whole life, this passage has always been confusing to me. You may have passages like that in your life. You've heard them a thousand times. You kind of know what they mean. But you're also kind of like, ah, that feels, that feels a little weird. What's always been challenging about this text to me is that it seems kind of random. So you're talking about asking and seeking and knocking, and then there's a snake and a bread and fish and a stone and a narrow way and a wide way and a life. And if you just skim this, you'd probably be tempted to skip it, to say, okay, this is just, this is just kind of a Mad Libs thing. It's just everything all at once. But I believe if we really look at it, that by God's Spirit, we'll see an amazing amount of clarity here. That as, that as Jesus is telling us that, that we are learning how to live. And so what I want to do is I want to break the Scripture into three sections, okay? The first one is the way. The second one is the what. And the third one's going to be the weight. Okay, so that's actually misspelled, the weight. And I'll tell you who misspelled that. It was me, okay? So don't blame Darren. Um, the weight we're talking about is actually the heavy weight of a thing, okay? So I'm not going to talk about your weight. I'm talking about a different kind of weight, okay? So just bear with me. But, but the way, the what, and the weight. And, and that's how we're going to sort of organize these scriptures. Because right in the middle of the text today, there is this thing that I'm calling the what. It is the thing that God is calling us to do. And it will be our focus today. It is this challenge, a command from God do this thing. So remember the sermon's telling us how to live life the way God wants us to live it. So right in the middle is the what? It's the meat, okay? But before that, God's going to tell us what he, how he wants us to accomplish this. So God uses the first five verses of this to make clear the way we're able to do the what, okay? I know this is like blues clues all of a sudden, right? All right? He's going to tell us the way that we can do the what? So let's go back to the top of the verse. Go back to verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So, let's be honest. Following Jesus is hard. It is, it is joyous, and it is life-giving, and it is beautiful, but it also is hard. 
to follow Jesus, to be a follower of his, to be obedient is hard. And what verses 7 through 11 are trying to tell us is that as it's going to tell us this what, so I already said, you know, a few, few verses it's going to tell us what God's calling us to do. These verses are reminding us that even though it's hard, our Father is good. Without knowing that your Father is going to provide you every good thing you need, it's impossible to live the life He's called us to. He is saying to us from the very beginning, I'm going to ask you to do a thing, but I want you to know this. I am a good Father who will provide the stuff you need to live out the way I want you to live. He's telling us about his provision. He's telling us about the way. God's called us to live in a certain way. And these verses are making sure that you know and I know that he's going to provide for that to happen. So look at verse 8. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be open. If you are a child of God, you have this glorious promise that when you seek the Lord for what you need, what you truly need, not the perfect life, not a Christmas list, not a wish list, but when you seek God for the things you truly need, he says he will provide that. God, I'm in a tough situation with some people in my life. I need some grace. God says you got it. God, I, I need some wisdom to know what to do with this big thing that's coming up. God says, you got it. God, I'm at the door. I'm knocking. I want to walk with you and live in community with you. And God says, you got it. He's telling us, ask, seek, knock. When we ask and seek and knock, he will answer. And then in verse 9, he tells us why. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent. Now, those of you who are parents, this makes a lot of sense. Because as a parent, when your kids are hungry, when your kids, you can tell, oh, these kids need to eat. I mean, they need sustenance. They need nutrition. If you're a parent, you probably don't ever go, nah, not going to feed them today. When you know your kids, especially if you've got little ones, and they're just going nuts, and you're thinking, what is wrong with these children? And you go, oh, they need to eat. As a parent, you feed them. Let's say you're not a parent. Maybe you don't have kids. Maybe you don't have kids. So let me get even more real. When your dog needs food, you feed it. When your little kitty cat or your hamster or your goldfish needs food, you make sure it has it. And not trying to shame, but some of y'all feed the dog more regularly than you do the kids, but that's a whole other thing. But you make sure, okay, this, this thing that I'm this thing that's mine, this thing that I'm caring for, I'm going to make sure it has what it needs. Maybe you don't have kids. Maybe you don't have pets. Maybe you've got a plant in your house that's been trying to die for a year, right? And every time you walk by there and you see, what? What plant's looking kind of rough? I better give it what it needs. I better give it some water. I better give it some sunlight. God's saying, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven good, give good things to those who ask him? He's a way better parent than me, and he's a way better parent than you. He is the perfect Father. And if we understand this, this truth in these verses, this confidence that our Father meets our real needs, you'll have the power and assurance and ability to live out the command that's coming. Remember, there's a what that's coming. God's about to tell us what he wants to do. But he's helped us and he's reminded us here that the goodness of our Father is the way we live the life he calls us to. It's his goodness. 
It's his provision. Let's keep going, though. Let's go to the what. So what is God asking us to do? Verse 12 says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Even the world knows this one, right? The golden rule. I always love it when the world knows a thing that started in the Bible, right? You always want to be like, I know who wrote that, Jesus, you know? But it's so widely accepted. It's so widely known. But here's the one thing that, that is so, it's, it's tiny here in the verse, but it means so much that it starts with the word so. So let's think about this. God is telling us in verse 7 through 11, ask, seek, knock. I'm a good father. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to give you what you need to live the life that I've called you to. And then we get to the what, which says, so because of all these things, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do to them, for this is the law and the prophets. God's provision powers us to serve others. This is the what he's telling us. He's asking us to serve others, commanding us to serve others, to give to others the things that we know important because we want them ourselves. Mercy and kindness and love and protection and friendship. The list goes on and on and on. God says, I'm going to provide. I'm going to be the way. My goodness is going to be the way. So serve others in the way that you would want to be served. The thing that you wish for yourself, give it away. Serve someone else. And he says, this fulfills the law and prophets because this is the very heart of the gospel. Your place in the family of God is by the shed blood of Jesus. Grace and forgiveness and mercy you have because of the gospel, because Jesus gave himself for us. And now we're called to model that. It fulfills the law and what the prophets have said. That the gospel, when we live it out, should be loving others. We should live a life that is sacrificial. Our sacrifice models the gospel. When you love like this, when you serve others, when you think more about others than yourself, you are modeling the gospel. And without that, we are prone to live for ourselves. Our tendency is to do only the things that bless us and that benefit us. But we know that that way is foolish. We know that way's folly. God's asking us to get the focus off of ourselves and onto somebody else. Do unto them as you want people to do to you. I'll tell you a little story. A couple years ago, I was talking to a friend. And I wasn't whining, but I was kind of whining. You know what I'm saying? Like it wasn't a hard whine, but I was complaining a little. Because I was just feeling real discouraged. And I, I remember saying to this friend who I love and trust, and I was saying, like, and I'll just be honest with you, I was saying, you know, sometimes I wonder if what I'm doing even matters. You know, I'm working at the church, and I'm working hard, but man, I just need, I just need some encouragement. I'm just feeling a little alone out here. I just need a pat on the back, or I just need somebody to, to pray for me. Man, I am not doing very well. I, I have some real needs here. And he was like, good. And my first thought is, why is this guy my friend again? And I said, what are you talking about? Because I knew he would have something to say, right? And so this is what he, he said. He said, well, you know the golden rule, right? And I said, yes. He said, well, you know, you know what God's doing right now is, is the thing that you're feeling. What if God's using that in you to realize that other people feel the same way? If you're 
if you're feeling lonely and you want a phone call, what would happen if you took that? Like, as a reminder, okay, somebody else needs a phone call. What, what if you took that need, that thing that you want for yourself, and you gave to another? What, what if you took that discouragement or needing a pat on the back or all the things that you're saying to me, what if you could flip it? What if you could invert it? What if all the things you want for yourself, you could do for someone else? And I said, we're not friends anymore. But he was right. Because that's what I started doing. And inevitably, what would happen is, I was feeling lonely, and I would try to be real specific. Okay, what am I looking for? And there were a couple times where I thought, man, I would really love a phone call. And so I started to make phone calls. And you know what happened every time I would do something like this? The person I would reach out to would always be like, Oh, this is so amazing. This is a godsend. I've been feeling down and discouraged and lonely. And it, it should not have surprised me, but it did. And I want you just to think for a second. What if that thing that's bothering you today, what if that need, that thing that you know is important, that thing that you are wishing for yourself, what if somebody else in your life, in your neighborhood, in this room, is feeling the same thing? The, the Sermon on the Mount tells us to serve others. The things that we know are important, the things that we know are vital, the things that we know make a huge difference, to do them for others. But it's hard because we have to be honest. The Scripture doesn't say, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do to them, and they'll treat you the same way. That is not promised to us. That's why this is hard. That'd be great. If it was just a formula, I'd be nice to them, they'd be nice to me, it'd be smooth sailing. But we're not promised that. In fact, God's word's pretty clear. Matthew 5, 11 through 12 says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. God calls me to serve others to live the golden rule, even though I'm not promised I'll be treated fairly or with kindness. And this is why I believe he started off by making sure we knew he'll make a way. He'll provide our contentment, our satisfaction, our provision is in him. Even though it's hard to serve others, he spent five verses telling us, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you. I'm going to give you what you need. So his goodness is the way serving others is the what that's the thing he's asking you to do that's the thing he's asking me to do it is not our natural inclination to put others above ourselves and that's exactly what god's asking to us to do now let's look at the last few verses you might find this last part odd but if you think about it if you think about the way god provides and the what he's calling us to do this will make sense verse 13 Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. God tells us that serving our own needs and not living out the gospel, not living the way he's called us to, is a wide gate. It's an easy way. Serving yourself is easy. Let's be honest. If you walked out of here today and you thought, I'm going to do the exact opposite of what Todd said. I'm going to just live for my own desire and pleasure. I guarantee you, you'd have no problem figuring that out. That's the easy way. 
And yet it leads to destruction. God is saying that this narrow gate, this hard way, there is a tremendous weight to this. That it is hard to do this thing. And and most people don't want to. Most people go the easy way. Most people take the wide gate. Our pride and our selfishness and our own needs are constantly pulling us from serving others. God's word will not lie to you. It is the truth. It will speak life into your heart and it will be honest with you, sometimes brutally honest with you. How do I keep loving people when it's so hard? How do I walk the narrow path? Because I have a father in heaven who will give me the strength and the grace I need to persevere. Remember what he said at the beginning. The weight of this, caring for the needs of others instead of ourselves drives us us to ask and seek And knock, this is the heart of the gospel. To take the good news of what Christ has done and to live out the Christ-like example in as many ways and in as many places as possible. The heavy weight of this should drive us to God. Knowing what he's called us to and knowing our own inability to figure it out should drive us to rely on him, to ask and to seek and to knock. The way, his his provision and his goodness is the way. Serving others is the what. And the weight of this forces us to be reliant on him. I don't know. Maybe it's because of the pandemic. I don't know. But it feels like to me that when I talk to Christians right now, you may not feel this way. So if I'm alone, that's fine. You don't have to nod or give me a thumbs up. But I'm going to tell you what it feels like. It feels like right now, for whatever reason, there are a lot of Christians just like sitting on the bench, right? And so I, I don't know if that's part of the pandemic where we, you know, we kind of had to disconnect and be careful and, and take care of ourselves. Uh, maybe there are other cultural causes to this, but it, but it feels like, especially in church, that you know, getting people to serve and to be generous and to care for one another and to go out of their way for one another and to invite people to lunch and to meet others needs it it feels like we're just all we're kind of pulled back right now and i've had a lot of conversations with people over the past year about this people who are for lack of a better term they're sitting on the bench and and what always seems to come up in some form when we're talking about it is is their answer is well it's just hard it's just hard it's hard to be generous. It's hard to serve again. It's hard to get back into life. I'm just, you know, I'm kind of enjoying just sitting on the bench. It's, it's hard. And what Matthew 7, 7 through 14 tells us is that, yes, it absolutely is hard. In fact, in our own strength, it's impossible. This thing that God calls you to do is impossible for you to do on your own. It's impossible. But he has said five verses at the beginning, I'm going to make a way for this. God is a good father and he provides for his children. There's a lot of people in here and I would not presume to know everybody's story. I don't know what everybody's going through. Everybody's going through their own thing. But there are some of you today and you may already know this. You may have already been feeling it for a little while. There are some of you that God is whispering to you today, get off the bench. Get in the game. You pull back from serving. You pull back from, from the life of looking for ways to love others. You've 
pulled back from being generous. You've pulled back from serving in your church. You've pulled back from connecting with neighbors. You've pulled back from trying to love your lost family members. And God is saying to you, get in the game. I will provide everything you need. Just get in the game. Have a heart that is surrendered and ready to serve. God is calling us to get off the bench and get in the game this morning to pump myself up for the sermon. I watched the last three minutes of one of the greatest movies they've ever made. It's called Rudy, okay? So I'm going to spoil Rudy a little bit, but it came out over 20 years ago, so that's your fault. If you haven't watched Rudy, so I watched Rudy this morning because I thought, I had a memory of Rudy, and I was like, I think this is a good application for us, but I'm not sure. So I watched it to, to come up with something for the sermon, but by the end, I was like, let's go! I was like so fired up by it, okay? So there are two moments in Rudy that, that happen. So it's at the end of the movie, Rudy is finally getting to suit up. You may remember this. They're about to run out on the field, and the team captain calls Rudy from the back. And he grabs his face mask, and he says, are you ready for this? And Rudy, little bitty Rudy, with just like this fire in his eyes, says, I've been ready for this my whole life. And the guy says, okay, will you run us out on the field? And so they run out on the field. And the first time you watch Rudy, you're like, Rudy's going to tear it up. And Rudy does not tear it up. They don't even put Rudy in the game. So the first time you're watching, you're like, oh, come on. We're not going to get anything. I'm not a sports fan. I didn't know what happened to the real Rudy Rudiker. I'm just watching the movie. And then the movie is almost over. The team is up enough, and they put Rudy in. And you may remember this. Everybody's chanting Rudy, and the coaches are yelling Rudy. And the head coach looks down, and he says yes. And they pat Rudy on the shoulder, and they say go. And he bolts out onto the field. I mean, just sprints out. He is completely excited. He's out of his mind. And there's this one moment. It's about two seconds long. And you can go look it up on YouTube when you get home. I actually own Rudy because I love art. But you may need to look it up on YouTube. But there's a moment when Rudy bolts onto the field. And just for a second, the camera angle changes. And it's on the other side. They're about to kick off. And you see that as Rudy kind of runs around and he lines up and I'm going to have to show you, and it's not going to look cool, but this is what happens. You're seeing the team. You're seeing Rudy from behind. And this is what he does when he gets in place. He's literally going like this. Like his legs are just moving like crazy because he's so ready. This guy just told us, I've been waiting for this my whole life. He cannot keep still. And they're about to kick off, and you can just tell. So the football fans, I'm sure, like, don't go Rudy until they kick it. He's so excited. You can see it in his legs. He is ready to go. My heart, my prayer is that the Scripture today would get our legs pumping a little bit. That we would be saying, okay, God, okay, I'm ready to get in the game. Here's the other interesting thing about Rudy. If you've watched it, the only way... Rudy is out there on that field is because all of these other people in his life and on the team have provided for him. They've made sacrifices. They've encouraged him. They've done everything they can to give him everything he needs to succeed. God has given you everything you need to serve others. He has said over and over and over and over, I will provide. 
I will give you what you need. Only you know what God's calling you to do. I can't presume that or guess that. But I will remind you of this. There's this old cliche they used to say in church all the time. I don't think they say it much anymore. But it's this old saying that God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. It's sort of supposed to explain to us that God doesn't scan you and go, well, that one's got everything already. Pick them. It's actually the opposite. Where God goes, I want that one to preach. I want that one to sing. I want that one to be a missionary. I want that one to serve in children's ministry. I want that one to love their neighbors. I want that one to, I want that one to be generous. I want that one to do hospitality. And God says, I want that one, and I want that one, and I want that one. And then he pours into you everything you need for that. God constantly saying, get in the game. I will give you my power. I will give you the resources. I will give you wisdom. I will give you the things that you need to serve one another. And it's okay if you're scared. Some of you may be scared. You may already know what God's calling you to do. You might be ready to get off the bench, but you're scared to death. That's okay because it's hard. The thing that God's asking us to do is hard. And so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask Drew Boring to come up and Drew's going to get his guitar and we're going to just have, have kind of a quiet prayer time today. We'll just take a few minutes to just be quiet and I'll, as the music plays, I just encourage you to, to talk to God. It'll take about a minute or two. We won't try to stretch it too long, but just ask the Lord, Lord, what is it you're calling me to do? What's that one thing, God, that I've been holding back from? God, how do you want me to get in the game? And so I want you to do that. I want to encourage you to pray about that. And then after we've been quiet for a minute or two, I'll, I'll close us in prayer and then we'll sing a couple choruses and, and we'll be gone. But I, but I want you to know, I, I want you to understand that God has called us to be examples. He's called us to live out the gospel. That's what he's called us to do. It's what he's called me to do and it's what he's called you to do. And there are a lot of people in this room. There are a lot of different ways we can do that. But, but you may just need to pray today and say, God, give me a heart for others. Give me love for others. Help me to, to put others above myself. So would you bow with me? And let's just be quiet before the Lord. Let's just pray on our own for a minute. And then I'll pray. Father, I come before you and I thank you for your word. I thank you that um, you are a good God who provides. Lord, I pray that you would help us, that you would make clear to us what it is you want us to do, the, the ministry, the calling, the place you want us to serve. God, we give ourselves, we surrender to your call to put others above ourselves. And God, I pray that our church would be a place that's known for that, 
that you would help us to be a people who love and who love deeply and who love generously and that you'd remind us that we can rely on you for the strength and the stamina and the creativity and the power to do that. God, would you help us? I pray for those who today might be struggling with with the call and what you're calling them to do and maybe feeling a little bit afraid. God, I pray that you would reassure them and give them the confidence that you are sovereign over all things and you have all the power and that this is not hard for you. God, I also pray for those in the room who may not know you. God, that you would call them to a saving knowledge of your son Jesus, that they would find this life of purpose and power in your son We love you. We thank you for your word. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I want us to stand together.